receive incongruous assurances from a spider god. Realize your ghost problem could be hereditary. Reconcile that the spirit world may really hate your singing voice. All this and more to excite, thrill, and spookify. It's from the parlor. It's filled with stories. It's another Parlor Stories edition of Odd Tonic. Welcome to the parlor. I'm Jennifer. And I'm Maxwell. Come out from that summer heat, dear guest. Join us on the settee and cool off with more chilling parlor stories. True tales of the unexplained sent in by listeners (laughs) just like you. Think of us as your paranormally powered AC unit. (laughs) And you're going to need that AC if you're steadfast with your goth look in the summertime. Oh, yeah. We certainly have difficulty parting with our velvets and dark colors this time of year, don't we, love? Mm -hmm. Whatever will we do when summer hits broiler mode? Well, you know how I love my parasol. (laughs) Yes, yes, I do. (laughs) I honestly don't mind switching from black to lighter colors. I mean, if anyone has seen the movie Practical Magic, I love the aunt's wardrobe. (laughs) She does. Plus, it's fun to switch back to black in the autumn. It's just so romantic. Mm. Obviously, I haven't given this any type of thought. Obviously, obviously. (laughs) So do we have any... uh, last summer goth tips for our (laughs) listeners avoid the sun (laughs) she says while still wearing all black and um seek out supernatural cold spots oh yes that should help out if anyone has any spooky road trips or other plans this summer we would love to hear about Mm -hmm. them isn't every lighthouse on the planet haunted it's a perfect (laughs) summer trip and remember to pack odd tonic for all your travels bring us along in spirit speaking of spirits we Mm -hmm. have a few in our parlor stories this evening so true Tonight, we'll move into an apartment with some very scary amenities. We'll join two gentlemen on a trip where no earthly GPS can find them. And we'll meet a little girl who is watched over by her guardian... Uh, Actually, we don't know what it is. (laughs) But first, let's join a family's birthday celebration that comes with a very unwelcome tradition. It comes to us from Jonathan in Snoqualmie, Washington. During a cold and rainy February in 2019, we moved into a property known as Old Riley Homestead. It's a hundred-year-old, four-bedroom, craftsman-style home built in 1920. At one time, it was the only house for miles around. Old Man Riley was a tree farmer and, I believe, a logger as well. I'm not sure how many children he had in total, but there are a lot of Rileys still living here in the valley. Stories of old man Lee Riley riding his tractor up and down the driveway were told by the locals. Also, there were stories of strange people who lived here years later, one of which was in some kind of hostage standoff with the police some years ago. Do you think that was in the house list? (laughs) Yeah, you know, the hostage disclosure form. (laughs) While settling into our new home, we would find interesting artifacts in the basement dating back 50, 60, even 80 years. 
The basement isn't finished. It's dirty, creepy, and breaking apart. Typical of an old farmhouse. After living here a month or so, we celebrated our first birthday in the home, which happened to be for one of our children. We sang happy birthday, blew out the candles, cut the cake, and began to eat it. We were all standing in the kitchen eating when we suddenly heard the sound of a little girl screaming bloody murder and crying, deep, gut-wrenching moans and cries of anguish, all coming from the basement. I ran down there to see what could possibly be happening. No one was down there. The basement was empty. The screaming stopped. I explored the entire basement to make sure no one was hiding down there. I couldn't find anyone or any explanation as to what could have been making the noise. As I was down there, the scream started again, but this time it was coming from the top floor of the house. Of course, from there, I followed the screams to the upstairs, when again, they stopped. About 20, 30 minutes later, the screaming resumed downstairs in the basement. At some point, I apologized out loud and said something like, I'm so sorry you didn't have the birthday you wanted to have. I'm sorry if others mistreated you. And this seemed to quiet the screaming for a bit. But then, it started again randomly, off and on for a few days, until it finally went away altogether. Whenever we sing happy birthday here, the screams start again. We don't like to have birthdays in the house anymore. Happy birthday <laughs> to you. Worst present ever. <laughs> but the best story ever. Thank you, Jonathan. Yes. And hats off to Jonathan for trying to hash things out with the ghosty. Mm. The fact that it actually worked a little makes me wonder what would have happened if he had Maybe just pushed it a little further. Like give her a place at the table with a little party hat? <laughs> well, actually, yeah. Well, maybe not at the table, but if he had brought a slice of cake into the basement, hmm. included her, but maybe at a distance, which mm. I guess sounds a little heartless yeah. uh, comparatively, b- mm-hmm. but you know what I mean. Yeah, but we know how the story usually goes once you invite the paranormal to your table or into your life. Right, right. You've got dude feeling up your leg. <laughs> exactly. But we'll see in this next story from Christopher, sometimes the paranormal will move right in without an invitation. I rarely tell this story to anyone because it sounds so completely unbelievable. You've come to the right place. (laughs) (laughs) It's not worth getting the raised eyebrows and the soft, okay, that the story often prompts. However, since you are odd and explore the strange and unusual, I suppose you may appreciate it. Mm. We will. Thank you, Christopher. Mm -hmm. My wife and I moved into an apartment in downtown Denver a number of years ago, fairly early in our marriage sometime around the early 2000s. It was a terrible basement apartment in an old, run-down city building. We had one basement window, and it looked out into a parking garage, and it was placed next to a power generator. So when pigeons were not walking into our kitchen, diesel fumes were pouring in. Ah. It was a small one-bedroom, and from our bed, we could see the living room and the front door. We got it for the location, but yeah, 
Not sure it was worth it. <laughs> Not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Before I get into the tale of what happened that year, I should tell you that my wife and I are no strangers to the paranormal. She grew up in a house haunted by her grandparents, and I had at least a couple of ghostly encounters as a teenager. In general, we are welcoming of the supernatural and do our best to understand the situation before calling in priests, shamans, and exorcists. Burning the place down, that sort of thing. <laughs> in this case, we should have made that call. The disturbances started small and were no more unusual than what we'd expect from an old apartment building in the city. The cat would watch things that weren't there. Sometimes things would become misplaced. We would hear voices at night. As the months went on, the disturbances started escalating. We would hear footsteps above us walking day and night. Increasingly, we would also hear the front door open. As mentioned, we could see the door from our bed, so while we could hear it open as clear as a bell, it was obviously closed. It got to the point where we began barricading the door every night with a stool, saxophone case, books, anything that would topple over and make a huge ruckus if the door, in fact, did open. The door remained closed, saxophone in place, even though we could still hear it open. The upstairs racket got worse. We would often hear shouting and yelling and decided that our upstairs neighbors must have been in a terrible relationship. As we got closer to the event that marked the crescendo, things were getting quite troubling. Sometimes we would come home and every cabinet door in the kitchen would be open. The faucets would often be running. The sounds of the fighting upstairs were getting worse. One night in early winter, we came home to find dozens of guitar picks lying on the floor. We didn't play guitar and, at the time, didn't own one, let alone picks. They seemed to be everywhere, like an infestation. We collected them and began to wonder if we were being burglarized. But when combined with the opening cabinets, running water, voices at night, and the sound of our door opening... We figured we weren't. Within a day or so, all of the guitar picks were gone, as if they were never there. This all escalated and escalated until finally one night we woke to a home invasion. A young man opened the door, moved past our barricade, and looked into our bedroom. I could see him so clearly. I saw what clothing he wore, noted his blue jeans and ball cap. He lifted his arm as if he were holding a pistol. I broke out of bed and charged him. There was nothing there. My wife and I searched everywhere in the apartment, the bathroom, the kitchen. No one. The door was closed, the saxophone case in place. Complete silence. We moved out of this apartment as soon as we could. <laughs> yeah. A couple of years later, when my wife was getting her master's degree, one of her classmates talked about our apartment building and how strange it was. She couldn't believe that he had lived there too. Then it was realized we lived in the building at the same time that he had. In fact, he had been our upstairs neighbor. Hmm. He worked the night shift 
and was never home. He lived alone. He certainly did not pace the floor and shout at a spouse night after night. And what's more, he thought we were the ones fighting. In fact, he said he almost called the police once or twice because of how bad the fights got. My wife and I are not fighters. In our 20 years of marriage, I can count on one hand how many times our voices were even moderately raised. One night, this classmate said that he had sworn he heard a gunshot. It was in the early winter, quite probably the night that we saw the apparition. It doesn't take much to figure out what happened in that apartment, and it saddens me to know that it plays itself out year after year. We live in California now and have a lovely home with a yard, and now we do have a guitar. It's odd, however. I can't ever seem to find any guitar picks. <laughs> Great story, Christopher. Thank you so much. Yeah, I love it when there's confirmation to the weird thing that's happening. Right. What were the odds of them meeting their upstairs neighbor? I know, it's crazy. But you know what? Something like that happened to me once when I was living in Minneapolis as a young lad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had just gotten a job at a retail store and I was talking to one of my new coworkers. Mm-hmm. And we were just doing the small talk. You know, do you live downtown? Yeah, I live downtown too. Uh, yeah, where do you live? I live in the Luring Park area. Oh, yeah, really? Me too. That's mm-hmm. cool. Like, uh, what building? Oh, I live in the something or other building. Oh, really? I I live there too. No <laughs> way. Yeah, really? Oh, wow, wow. What floor? The third floor? I live in the third floor. No. She was my next door neighbor. Wow. But the odd thing of it was, is while we were talking, I noticed that her face kept falling a little bit more and a little bit more. (laughs) For whatever reason, she was not really hiding the fact that she wasn't thrilled to have somebody (laughs) that she really knew as a neighbor, or maybe me specifically. I was young and nerdy, I'm sure. (laughs) Maybe we could carpool and have sleepovers. (laughs) Yeah. I was probably highly exuberant at that age, which just goes to show that you can't choose your neighbors, much to the chagrin of this co-worker. And much to the chagrin of Allison, who sends us this next story from San Francisco. When I was six or seven years old, I would go into my parents' room at night to sleep in their bed. This drove them crazy, of course, but I insisted. My mom would always ask me why I wanted to sleep with them, and my answer was always the same. I had a bad dream. This was a lie. I didn't have bad dreams. I had bad wake-ups. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and be afraid to open my eyes, because I knew what I would see. I knew he would be sitting there in the corner of my room, on top of my desk, or sitting on top of Barbie's Malibu dream house next to my door. When I finally got the courage to glance over, I was always terrified. I was also always right. He was short, about four feet tall. He had a thin, pointy beard and wore a wide-brimmed hat with a feather in it. He never said anything, and he never moved from his spot. He just sat there, looking at me and smiling. If I started to cry or call out for my mom, he would raise his finger to his lips to shush me. I didn't know who or what he was, but I always thought of him as a leprechaun 
The worst part was that I got no relief. He followed me to my grandparents' houses and even to a friend's slumber party. At my paternal grandparents' house, he would sit on the hamper next to the door. I would close my eyes and run out of the room crying, terrified that he would grab me. In my other grandparents' house, there was nowhere for him to sit, so he would just stand in the doorway. I was trapped and terrified, so naturally, I wet the bed. Wetting the bed, unfortunately, became an issue for me during these visits. At the party, he sat on top of my friend's upright piano and stared down at me. I was so afraid that I pulled my sleeping bag up over my head and, you guessed it, peed myself. Then one day, after years of torment, it just stopped. As time went on, I convinced myself that I had really been dreaming all those times, that it was just silly little kid stuff. Then, one summer, I was home from college. My mom and I were up late talking and somehow got on the topic of scary stuff. And my mom says, Yeah, when I was a kid, I was always afraid that Rumpelstiltskin was going to get me. I used to think he was sitting in my room watching me sleep. I was stunned. My mom started freaking out because of the look on my face. So I told her about my leprechaun and described him to her. I told her about the hat, his beard, and his creepy little grin. This was the only time I've ever seen the color drain from a person. Hmm. As I described my years of torment, my mom started crying. She had no idea what I had been through, but her experience was the same with being watched and being followed from house to house. She had also convinced herself that it had all been a dream. We sat there crying and hugging each other, asking questions we couldn't answer like, why had this happened to us? And were we the only ones? Once I became a mother, I began to fear that the same thing would happen to my daughter. But she almost never asked to sleep in my bed. I eventually stopped worrying about it and pretty much forgot the whole thing. Then, when my son was about three... He started climbing into bed with me just about every night. He also had difficulty keeping dry at night, but only in his own bed, never when he slept with us. When I would ask him why he always wanted to sleep in my bed, he would give a non-answer like, I don't know, or because I like to. I never asked him if he saw a little man in his room at night because I didn't want to scare him, but more than once I heard him talking to someone late at night. When I would check on him, he would be alone. And then he always asked, could he sleep with me? What does that leprechaun want? Ah, just think of it as the family gnome. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> Honestly, I love that we read this story because I saw it circulating a few years ago online and I've always loved it. And I had no idea my friend Allison was the author. <laughs> so when I realized it was her during her submission, I kind of fangirled all over it. It was pretty delightful. Yeah, small world, right? <laughs> I know it's straight out of Monsters, Inc., but there has been speculation for decades that some phenomena seems to feed off the fear of those they're harassing. Mm. So do you think that's what's going on here? It could be, but I don't know. It does feel so personal. It would be interesting to look into it maybe being tied to an object in the family that they've kept around oh. instead of maybe the family themselves. That's a really interesting thought. All right, Allison, start cleaning out the closets. <laughs> Hold the object in your hands. Now, does it spark 
Jeepers Creepers, get rid of it. (laughs) Super creepy story. Thank you, Allison. Yeah, thank you so much. When we return, we'll take a terrifying road trip into the unexplained and have a nice cup of cocoa with a spider god. (laughs) But first, we're going to take a quick break and check under all the beds and inside the closets. (laughs) Don't turn out the light. Autonic will be right back. This is one of our favorite moments in Odd Tonic, when we get to thank the Patreon donors who contribute monthly to our podcasts, methods, and madness. By supporting us on Patreon, you absolutely and directly help the production of the show in countless ways. You absolutely do. And this month's supporters include the Salish Sea Sirens. We hope you enjoyed last week's mermaid episode. Mm-hmm. As well as Sprue Loose Minis. If you're into gaming miniatures, he does amazingly detailed painting. You should check it out. Definitely. And for Perf Productions of Wilmington, North Carolina. I have worked with these guys and they are amazing. Definitely check them out for all your film production needs. Thank you so much. We also have some individual contributors. Leslie, Donna, and last but not least, Stephen. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you for supporting our eccentric endeavors. Would you like to support the show and hear your name, nickname, business name, or favorite pet called out in a thank you on Odd Tonic? Of course you would. (laughs) Head over to our Patreon to check out this and other fantastic reward options. You can find us at patreon.com slash Odd Tonic. Now let's return for more personal paranormal parables. Welcome back. So far, we've toured a haunted apartment with the added perk of free guitar picks (laughs) and a ghost that is maybe just upset about not getting any birthday cake. Now let's explore the realm of trickster gods and how some of them may roam among us. All cultures have tales of the trickster, a crafty god or creature who uses their cunning to get food, steal precious possessions, or simply cause mischief and inconvenience because it's Thursday. (laughs) In some Greek myths, Hermes plays the trickster. He is the patron of thieves and the inventor of lying. Ooh, thank you, Hermes. (laughs) In Slavic folktales, the trickster and cultural hero is combined into Kucha, the Russian raven spirit. In North mythology, the mischief maker is Loki, who is a shapeshifter. And Sly Renard the Fox is popular in Dutch, French, German, and English cultures. The hare is also a popular trickster in animal form, as well as the spider. In West African and Caribbean folklore, there is Anasi, the silver-tongued spider who, depending on the tale, can also be depicted as a man. Which leads us to a story from Joe, who knows a thing or two about these tales. I studied world mythology when I was in college and have always felt a kinship to the trickster gods. Lessons hard learned fit my MO, as well as general mischief. Troublemaker. (laughs) (laughs) This sets the stage for my story. It was 2008 in Seattle when I sat in a hospital cafeteria. It was late, around 11.30 p.m. I was drinking a cocoa, trying to process. My almost brother-in-law had fallen off a balcony and had experienced a major head trauma. We didn't know if he would ever wake up. Hmm. So there I was, putting myself back together so I could support my sister. I was sort of in my own world, 
until I noticed someone about ten feet away walking up to me. He wore dark sunglasses, a yellow jewel-toned suit, and a matching fedora, black rim. He put his hand on my shoulder and sat down. My first thought was, what now? Hasn't this day been long enough? Then he flashed a grin that put me at ease. He was clean-shaven and looked middle-aged, but I knew who he was. He was so close to the way Neil Gaiman had portrayed him in his book, American Gods, that it being anyone else didn't even enter my mind. It was a nausea. He's going to be okay, he said, smiling. He lowered his sunglasses and looked over them at me. His eyes didn't look right. They were dark and sort of glinted red, the way super dark brown hair reflects in the sun. Then he handed me a lime. You're going to want this later. And with that, he got up and walked off. It was a strange, jittery sort of walk, like too many songs going through his head and he wanted to walk in rhythm with them all. I looked down at the lime thinking, what am I supposed to do with this? And when I looked up, he was gone. The door out of the cafeteria was about 30 feet away. To clear it in the time that I glanced down at the lime, he would have had to have broken into a run. And I'm pretty sure I would have noticed that. So, I went back up to the room where my sister's fiancé was, lime in hand. My sister looked at me and said, I really need a drink, like a margarita or something. I handed her the lime and said, Well, here's a start. She looked at it, then back up at me. Where'd this come from? A nausea, I think. He was in the cafeteria. Said he's going to be okay. He told the truth in a very anazi way. My almost brother-in-law lost about 20 years of memory and didn't remember me at all. He lived, but wasn't the same. The marriage never happened. He's doing okay, living a life different than he was on track for. As I've said, trickster gods are a theme in my life. There was that time that I met Coyote, but... That's a story for another time. (laughs) This is a fascinating story, and it creates far more questions than it offers any answers. (laughs) Sometimes I don't like knowing the answers. You know me. The mystery is charming enough. It makes life more colorful. (laughs) I agree. Thank you so much, Joe. I just love this story. Mm -hmm. Well, if any of tonight's parlor stories have you seeing red or feeling blue, then you are primed for our next tale from S, who submitted her story anonymously. To understand this story, you need to understand a condition I have. I have something called synesthesia. My particular kind lets me see colors in places others cannot see, like music and sound. Things like names, numbers, and days of the week all have colors when I see or hear them. And these colors never change or go away. It is involuntary, and I cannot choose the colors. The colors have no symbolism. They just are. When I get to know people, I see colors as well. 
their colors to continue the pattern are set. They never change except in one case. When I saw my father, there was no one color. Multiple colors flew by almost as fast as a flip book. It went on most of my life. At one point, when I was eight or nine, I went to my mom and I said, something's wrong with dad. She replied nothing was wrong with him, but something felt off. I felt afraid of him and was wary, even as a child. Having him for a father was painful. He was never physically abusive, but he spun my world into a tangle. I was either isolated by him or mentally and emotionally tortured by him, especially when I was young. When I got older, I shut down and acted like I was emotionless to keep him at bay. Instead, he thought he had broken my mind and decided to teach me how to manipulate people. He showed me the world he saw, the world where people were toys and their minds were made to be broken. In my young adulthood, the abuse he had caused my family finally came out. A lawyer was reached and he requested testimony from me to help prove how dangerous he was. My dad found out about this and began to try keeping me close. He would say I was a lonely little island, just like him, that no one would understand us and the world was against us. He said this all in fear, and rightly so, because I wrote everything down in testimony for the lawyer. I exposed him. We were placed in family counseling, and our counselor began to see me separately. She began to suggest that something was wrong with him, and I told her what he would do to me in my childhood and what he would teach me later on. Between this and the careful analysis, they discovered my father was a sociopath. I was given a book, The Sociopath Next Door, by Martha Stout. The more I read it, the more I realized they were correct. His manipulation, his abuse, his being able to hide for years, even his teaching me in order to create an heir, was all part of his sociopathy. I felt sick, but I devoured the truth in those pages, and after years of fast-flipping colors around my dad's image, they went still. What was left was an inky black color, absent of all color and light, just like my father. Wow. There is an amazing YA thriller ready to be built out of that experience, S. Get cracking on that, because I want to buy it. I think she deserves all the royalties after living through that story. (laughs) No, it's amazing, right? Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing, S. And congratulations on getting out of your childhood without being driven insane. Well done. Speaking of driving into insanity. (laughs) Oh, well done. (laughs) (laughs) Our last tale comes to us from Wayne, who tells of a road trip that he will soon not forget. Wayne writes, Dear Jennifer and Maxwell, over the past few months, I've really enjoyed your podcasts. Oh. Yeah. The fascinating stories and superb storytelling make the show a must-listen-to event in my household. Aww. That is so nice. After listening to stories of people being transported to other worlds or being unsure of where they were at a given moment, I wanted to share an experience I had. Mm. Three years ago, the week after Memorial Day weekend, a friend of mine, Joe, and I were traveling to Wonderfest, 
a convention dedicated to science fiction, fantasy, and horror scale models. Wonderfest is considered the top convention of its genre, and modelers from all over the world come to show off the latest builds and enter a big contest. I have tagged along and attended this convention with Joe since 2002. We live in the Knoxville, Tennessee area, and we travel up I-75 to I-64 to Louisville, Kentucky. It's about a four and a half hour trip. Joe and I have taken this trip many times. I know the route from Knoxville to Louisville very well. I have many of the landmarks and exits memorized, and Joe and I keep a travel journal. Our trip started as normal. Joe picked me up from my house, we gassed up the truck, and we were on our way. The weather was not unusual for late May, early June in Tennessee. The temperatures were in the upper 80s. It was a bit overcast, but there was no sign of rain. Joe was traveling at his usual speed, just a few miles over the speed limit. Because of his daring, we were on the lookout for the highway patrol. The last thing we wanted was to get a costly speeding ticket. Joe and I chatted as we usually do about the con, the guests, who was entering models in the contests, just as we had done many times in this trip. We would usually get quiet about an hour and a half in and just relax and enjoy the nice scenery of Tennessee and then Kentucky. I enjoyed a few moments of silence. It was nice. The sun came out and it was big and bright. I closed my eyes and rested for a few moments. Then I began to feel uneasy. I didn't know why at first. The traffic was light. There was no delays or construction issues. I couldn't put my finger on it until I started to look around. And then I realized I didn't know where I was. I didn't know where I was at all. Nothing looked like it should. I know that part of 75 quite well. We should have been leaving the last of the foothills of Tennessee and just entering the flat landscape of Kentucky. Everything looked gray. The sky was a flint gray. I thought it was cloud cover, but it looked off. There was not the usual irregular effect of clouds. It was flat like the felt of a pool table, all a consistent gray. At the highway level, the road looked normal. 75 is a divided highway, so sometimes drivers going north can't see the south side of traffic due to trees or rocks. That was not unusual at first, but as we kept driving, I realized I never saw the other side of 75, and the surrounding ground didn't look right. It was far too flat and too rocky. The trees were stunted looking. There was a strange, wispy fog. Not really a fog, but more like something alive that hovered and swirled close to the ground, like mist rising off a hot asphalt after a summer rain. But this wasn't mist. The road was totally dry. I was becoming more and more uneasy. I still did not know where I was. None of the normal landmarks or exits were visible. There wasn't even a single mile marker, just the two lanes of 75 going on and on. I don't remember any traffic during this. It was just me and Joe and his little truck traveling along a strangely unfamiliar road. This continued for what seemed like an hour or two, but to my recollection, it was only 15 to 18 minutes or so. 
I stayed quiet and continued to search for something familiar. I honestly didn't want to tell Joe that I was freaking out. If I had passed a sign that said we were in Canada or Russia at the moment, I would have believed it. I kept my eyes forward in the hopes that I would spot a familiar sign, signal, house, exit, anything that would give me an idea of where I was. I checked the time on my phone and realized the time was correct, but I wasn't getting a signal. Then I noticed I wasn't getting any kind of update on my location on my phone. Even with a weak signal, I usually get that. When I finally glanced over at Joe, I noticed that he had his full attention on the road. The look on his face was of complete concentration. I decided not to talk to him at that moment. For one thing, what was I going to say? Then I noticed how fast we were driving. Joe was easily going faster than 80 miles per hour. I began to sweat, and I mean flop sweat, like I was on a Florida beach with a wool suit on. My anxious breath was hard and rapid as I realized I was being taken over by a growing sense of terror. As we crested a small hill, things suddenly snapped back. The sky was overcast, but many breaks in the clouds revealed a bright blue sky. I didn't see the sun directly, but I could see strong rays of sunlight on the surrounding and quite normal-looking rolling hills. The fields were again populated by normal-looking trees and plants. I saw houses and other buildings and cars. Other cars. We drove for a few minutes. I considered the strange thing that had just happened, and I gathered my thoughts. But I didn't know what to say. What could I say? Uh, sorry I was freaking out, but I think we were somewhere not here. After a few more miles of familiar territory, I finally turned to Joe and said, Look, you are not going to believe this, but I was just lost. Like, really lost for what seemed to be the last hour. I know this sounds crazy, but seriously, I was freaking out. Joe took a long drag on his cigarette, breathed out a cloud of smoke, and said, Okay, you too, huh? I thought I was losing my mind. I didn't know where we were. I just started driving faster and faster to get somewhere I could get my bearings. Both of us sat in stunned silence. I understood that I could have had a senior moment. I was 55 and preoccupied by the anticipation of Wonderfest. I could chalk it up to nerves, a bad beef jerky snack, or something. But both of us had experienced the same thing. For me and Joe to have a similar freakout at the same time with fairly similar symptoms seemed more than a bit improbable. We didn't talk much about it at all. We attended Wonderfest without ever breaching the subject. I didn't want people to think I was crazy, and Joe felt the same. However... On the way back home to Knoxville, boy, did we talk about it. What could have happened to us? A weapons test at an army base? A new kind of microwave or ultra-high-frequency radio waves? A local magnetic event? We came up with plenty of ideas and theories, but we could never figure out a plausible answer. There was just no explaining our weird trip on that strange stretch of road or how we felt during that shared experience.
<laughs> wow. <laughs> this story is just a veritable laundry list of <laughs> everything that you can expect in a dimensional shift story, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there is the the uneasy feeling mm-hmm. just out of nowhere, this feeling that something is wrong. And then you're looking around and, and everything is gray. Mm-hmm. The sky is gray. Out of place and out of time type of... Yeah. And like the foliage is usually like dead or stunted mm-hmm. or like kind of like reeks of sort of death Mm -hmm. in a way everything's still and right no people Mm -hmm. yeah they saw no cars and the mist right there's always a mist always described the same way Mm -hmm. it's like anthropomorphic it's alive Mm -hmm. anyway i was absolutely waiting when i was first reading this story for the very last box to tick Mm -hmm. and that is that the mist surrounds their car and then when they got through the end of the mist... Either... They had no skin. <laughs> <laughs> Not that story. <laughs> they suddenly found themselves at the convention like two hours ahead of right, time. Right. Or they found themselves like in a different part of the country. Mm-hmm. That's always... Or that they had like massive missing time mm-hmm. where they like arrived six hours late or something. Those are the three things that always happens in these stories. Mm-hmm. These guys lucked out. And they got to go to a minis convention. And it's like a holiday weekend. (laughs) (laughs) I do wonder how nervous they were when they were driving home. It might have been quite a relief to finally pull up in a familiar driveway and know you made it home. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right on the nose with that one. Well, speaking of coming to the end of the road, (laughs) that wraps up another Parlor Stories episode of Odd Tonic. If you have not yet sent us your true and unexplainable story. No excuse. And we know you have one. We know you do. Please share it with us. Send it to theparlor at oddtonicsociety.com. And as always, either spelling of parlor will reach us. Plus, remember to subscribe so you never miss a show and leave us an iTunes review so other estates of the unknown can find us too. We'll be back next week with more weird history, strange science, and the paralyzingly paranormal. This is, dear guest, goodbye for now. But remember, if you're ever with your family in an old farmhouse and during a festive sing-along, you suddenly hear strange, disruptive noises emanating from the dark, dank, and crumbling basement. Don't worry. It's just us. Good night.